In 2008, a strange thing happened, uh, broadcast all over, especially in the New York Times. The American Medical Association, or AMA, issued an apology to the National Medical Association, the NMA, which is also the major organization for black physicians, and it issued its apology also to all black physicians, apologizing for 150 years of racial exclusion and for marginalizing black physicians. This is something that's very little known about, and it's something that's been going on for a long time, and that was actually codified in a report published in 1911 called the Flexner Report. In 2008, the medical ethicist of the AMA, Harriet Washington, who was one of the black physicians it was apologizing to, um, said, quote, we have fewer black physicians, we have a ruptured trust between black physicians and black patients, and the American Medical Association um, has no trust at all. Part of the legacy of this very tragic history is that many physicians and patients simply don't believe the American Medical Association is looking out for its interests and advocates on behalf of them as white physicians. So what we're seeing is the American Medical Association has lost the trust of most black doctors. And this occurred a long time ago. The problem is that when the AMA did this, it's been apologizing ever since. In 1918, it issued some ethical codes of guidelines for how it could improve itself, how it could look better, how it could confront its racist past. Um, it created a path forward um, as ways to do it. In 2021, an interview with the AMA's chief, chief equity officer uh, said the AMA has finally, quote, come to terms with racism in its own past and issued an 83-page report that found the organization is rooted in white patriarchy and affluent supremacy. And it said the report acknowledged that the AMA commissioned Abraham Flexner to close black medical schools and bar them from AMA membership, without which you could not get licensed to work at the local hospital. So, you know, a lot of this comes down to a little known report called the Flexner Report that was published in 1911 and commissioned by the American Medical Association and the Carnegie Foundation with the help of Johns Hopkins University. And it should be noted that there were some voices in Johns Hopkins University at that time that were very progressive, the most vocal of which was William Osler, who was extremely um, conscious of the racial bias in medicine, was also extremely conscious that the fact that medicine was going in a bad direction, a direction that was much more robotic and non-thinking, more number-focused, and much more corporate. There are many people at Hopkins, who opposed Flexner and his clinical view of medicine, and when he retired, they basically took over. Most of them were eugenicists, and it's important to know the Flexner Report was written in a very eugenic vocabulary. It's also noted that 1911, when the eugenics, when the Flexner Report was written, uh, was contemporaneous with the Plessy versus Ferguson con uh, decision that said separate but equal is perfectly fine, and in fact, the Flexner Report did sanctify a separate but equal doctrine in healthcare that lasted for a long time. Before the Flexner Report was written, the legacy of black physicians were, was already problematic. One good primary source is John Perry's book, 40 Cords of Wood, which looks at his life as a black physician um, in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And he talks about how he was basically barred from any areas in which white doctors were seeing patients. He was only allowed to see the poorest patients who were not able to pay. And because he couldn't get paid, he was living in squalor, and that further eroded his reputation. 
He could not join any medical associations, which barred all blacks at that time, including the American Medical Association. Now, it's important to know that the American Medical Association had been trying to um, gather support and establish a more national medical organization uh, over which it was in charge, and it spent most of its time setting up organizations in the South. This is important because no Southern medical organization allowed blacks in it, and thus the American Medical Association didn't allow blacks in it. In fact, 1870, when three black physicians tried to apply for membership and pushed it all the way up to the level of the courts to get into the AMA, they were barred, and it was considered legal that they were barred. That's when they set up an alternative organization called the National Medical Association, which became the big boys for black physicians, especially after the Flexner Report. It published its own journal. It gave out its own credential. It set up its own teaching. It helped black hospitals and black medical schools survive. This is an important part of the story. So Dr. Perry talks about how he went to, he applied to get an internship in Chicago um, and he was accepted. But when he arrived, uh, he was barred from going there because of the color of his skin. He pleaded with the people in charge and they finally let him in, but none of his fellow white students would even associate with him. And ultimately he had to leave the profession because there was no way that he could practice medicine in a way where he could survive. But things were starting to change at the turn of the century. There were eight black medical schools. They were starting to get some financing. They were starting to produce black doctors. They were making more of a force in the black community. According to a lot of people, this was shocking to the eugenic people who were also in the American Medical Association and were uh, extremely upset about the fact that black doctors could practice at all. And this is what kind of led to the movement that when the hop people at Hopkins and the AMA and the Carnegie Foundation commissioned a, a report to look at all medical schools in the country. And initially they did the report on their own, but because it looked self-serving, they hired a really minor guy named Abraham Flexner, who was an educator, had nothing to do with medicine, to go to every medical school in the country, rate them, um, decide which one should close, which one should stay open, and then determine the formula by which all medical schools had to operate um, if they were going to survive. A formula that was antithetical to William Osler's patient-centric formula, a formula that was based on German thinking and eugenic thinking, that was number-focused, uh, in which um, there had to be laboratory work, there had to be a large library, all professors had to be um, paid by the school, they could not be practicing physicians as Osler had advocated. Uh, and for schools to survive this, it cost them a lot of money and they had to have rigorous standards. Um, the only, only the schools that Flexner um, authorized uh, would survive, would be even allowed to get this funding. And he knocked out most schools. Most saliently, he knocked out all but two black medical schools. Meherney and Howard did survive. But Flexner had an interesting um, two pages in chapter 14 of his report. He explicitly said the goal of the two remaining black medical schools was to train black doctors to treat poor blacks and prevent black disease from entering white communities. Blacks were not supposed to be trained to be surgeons or highly specialized doctors, but hygienic doctors. He writes, a well-taught Negro sanitarian will be immediately useful since schools to which the more promising of the race can be sent to receive a substantial education in which hygiene rather than surgery, for example, is strongly accentuated. Tell million African-Americans, he didn't use that word, um, live in close contact with 60 million whites. 
Not only does the Negro himself suffer from hookworm and tuberculosis, he communicates them to his white neighbors. The Negro must be educated not for his sake, but for ours. This is in the Flexner Report. By the way, this is what the AMA was apologizing for um, in a way, but it's also the report that controls our medical education and medical practice today. So these two pages are, are part of its general philosophy. And, you know, looking back, there are many people who've been writing about the report and show that there was substantial and growing physician population um, before the report. But because of the closing of the schools, um, the number of black physicians went down to 2.5% of the population. And in the subsequent almost 100 years, the black physician pool dropped further to 2.2% of the population. Howard University president said the Flexner Report, quote, started us down a road that is hard to undo. Um, the ripple effect of this disparity is evident today, said Mary Beth Gassman of Rutgers University. An article by Todd Savitt in the uh, National Medical Association Journal in 2006 looks at two crises that came from the Flexner Report. One, of course, occurred when the schools were closed, when just having two black medical schools itself was an extreme hardship for a black community. Now, the amount of black doctors that were able to be trained was far lower um, than was needed. And, and no other schools were really training black doctors. So by 1950, mind you, 40 years after the Flexner Report, these two schools graduated 100 black physicians a year. All other medical schools combined in the country graduated 10 black physicians a year. So that, that was how many were being trained. And this was the crisis that was extremely salient um, uh, for, for initially. Um, not only that, the, um, the requirement of the Flexner Report for blacks to study was that they had to go to a sanctioned school. They had to be part of a medical association and they had to have a one-year internship. Now, there were no medical associations that would accept black doctors. So immediately, blacks were trained and barred from all medical associations, thus not able to get licensed. And it was extremely difficult for blacks to get internships. What Dr. Perry went through prior to Flexner did not improve after Flexner. Isabella Venerval, who is a female black physician, uh, wrote in 1917 about her experience trying to get an internship. She went from place to place looking for an internship. She was sometimes accepted until they, like Dr. Perry, they saw the color of her skin and then they would not have let her go in. Even in black hospitals in New York, she was not allowed to get an internship. She writes, but the color, but my skin color, my skin was colored, a darker hue than that of the other girls. So they could not allow me to put in my application. This of course was de jure racism. You know, blacks were allowed to get a medical education, but not given any ability to actually practice medicine because they couldn't get into medical societies and they could not get an internship. She writes at the end of her article, what do you want, you women of, of dark skin? Halt. You cannot advance any further. Retreat. You're colored. Retreat. And she says, I ask, is this fair? She talks about how extremely liberal, progressive white people are fine to allow the black people to get an education, but not allow them to get a job. Sabbath talks about the second crisis in black education occurred in 1917. And this is discussed in many of the other articles I read, which basically is this. Although these two black medical schools were allowed to survive, no one funded them. 
In fact, the Rockefeller and Carnegie institutions that were funding most medical schools at that time that survived the Flexner Report and were also very interested in medical research and in steering which research these medical schools did. Remember, Flexner Report really brought corporate medicine into the medical establishment, but they weren't interested in funding black schools. Um, th this lack of funding almost caused both these schools to close. In fact, Andrew Carnegie himself, who even Flexner implored to fund some of these schools, said, quote, if we start helping medical colleges for colored people, we cannot discontinue, unquote, which is why he only gave token amounts of money, because he felt like if he gave more money, then they would be dependent on his money. And frankly, he is not interested in putting his money in places that were not doing the kind of research that he sanctioned. What this created was a separate black medical community, bordered, isolated, marginalized from the white community, unable to join the white community, and forced to fight for its survival on its own. Even the two black medical schools were producing students that couldn't get licensed or jobs. So what were they going to do? One author says that, quote, two Americas meant separate health care, separated medical education, and separated professional organizations, unquote. By creating a new norm that it elevated white men into the role of good doctors, that extolled and funded white medical schools while degrading black medical schools, the Flexner Report extended, quote, covert and overt social norms shaped over centuries. An article by Jasmine Arrington uh, talking about Vanderbilt and focusing on Meharry Medical School demonstrates how the Flexner Report, quote, a seemingly benevolent document with traumatic racial implications for African-Americans and their health experience, unquote, was a traumatic event to the black medical community that left scars in the collective memory of black physicians, even today. Because the report stripped blacks from mainstream medicine and gave them no base of power, such, as, such, such acts as forced sterilization of black women and the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, um, were able to occur without any effective counter-response from an isolated and impotent black medical community. And the fact that the Flexion Report reinforced the barriers that excluded blacks from medical school, there was a self-fulfilling prophecy that black schools became inferior, that black doctors were considered inferior, that black bodies fell prey to white health and medical institutions such that, quote, black lives are not valued, unquote. You know, looking, looking at pieces written before the Flexner Report, you see the echoes of this already starting. One report, one, one description of this um, looked at how the Flexner Report um, affected what was already in process, this racism that was already being codified by the AMA and by white physicians. He, he concludes, quote, by 1900, an organized and racially segregated medical profession stood on the threshold of total caesarneity over the healthcare system. During the early parts of the new century, white physicians were granted unprecedented authority and power over the entire U.S. health establishment. They created a racially exclusive medical education and research infrastructure, lending scant attention or support to African-American health problems or a stubbornly resilient black physician class. Unquote. Ascribing blame not only to the AMA, but also to the entire white physician class, these authors suggest that white physicians simply wanted to keep blacks in their own border and marginalized, away from them. There were, of course, eugenic and racial views on this, and there were also the views that whites wanted to protect their own turf, 
One of the points of the Flexion Report was to empower white physicians. And it needed to eliminate not only black physicians, but women physicians, physicians who practiced in an unorthodox way. All those were eliminated by the Flexion Report. The authors of this study say, quote, outside the boundaries of the medical mainstreams, black physicians made critical adjustments to the disadvantaged circumstances in which they functioned. Meanwhile, white organized medicine adopted the strategic policy of treating the new African-American medical profession as if it did not exist, unquote. Something that continued for quite some time. The black physician class through the International Medical Association and through the two surviving schools and through black charities um, did survive. And that's probably the most miraculous part of the story, the survival of it under these circumstances. Part of it is that they built black hospitals. Black hospitals then provided black internships. They built the National Medical Association, which became an association that black physicians could join and thus qualified them for licensure. They produced conferences, a journal, research activities. They lived within their own border. Black physicians were forced to survive without any help from the outside. They created their own walls and they lived within those walls, creating essentially a segregated um, medical system that allowed black physicians to survive, but did not improve their reputation for many years. And again, prevented them from having any influence on national policy and thus any influence on the racism that existed and affected black patients. A fascinating recent interview of this year with black medical students, black doctors, and black educators said that the Flexen Report, quote, had a chilling effect on the future of black physicians, the echoes of which are still felt today. In 2021, the AMA Ethical Committee, and a lot of people would consider ethics in the AMA an oxymoron, stated that the AMA must work toward, quote, reversing the historic harms we caused and forging paths toward truth, reconciliation, racial hearing, healing and transformation, unquote. But the black physician class has been put within a border. Whether it will ever come out of the border is unclear, but we still live by the Flexner Report. That is still what guides medical education, medical thinking, and the entire infrastructure of our medical industrial complex. To get past that, to get past the borders and walls it's created, it may be time to dismantle Flexner altogether.